Chapter Two of the Apostle of Alaska: The Story of William Duncan of Metlakatla by John W. Arctander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. The boy, the father of the man. This is the proper place to give what account I can of young Duncan's history prior to the memorable night mentioned in the preceding chapter that this account is so very scant is due to the innate and extraordinary modesty of mr duncan and his excessive tendency to shrink from any and all publicity in anything concerning his own personality his answer to all requests for something of his personal history is invariably this i do not believe in putting my personality to the front the work is what counts if i by the grace of god have been allowed to accomplish anything for his glory mention the work if you must but leave my personality out i will be glorified saith the lord i have only been an unworthy tool in his hand if an artisan has done a fine piece of work you would praise him and the cunning of his handicraft no one would think of extolling the tool in his hand the place for the tool is on the floor or at best on the bench there i prefer to remain it is the gospel which has done the work as for me i have done nothing i am only the tool in the master's hand let us forget the tool all the most ingenious arguments of the lawyer and of the interviewer simply fell to the ground blunted by the adamant will of the great man this is my excuse for not giving a fuller account of this remarkable man's early history william duncan was born at beverley a city of about twelve thousand inhabitants in yorkshire england some time during the month of april in the year eighteen thirty two even the exact date of his birth is known only to himself and he will not give it it is known that his mother lived to an advanced age and died in the year eighteen ninety eight she is buried at beverley the indians have told me that some years ago he used to show them a plaid which he told them his sister had embroidered a remark that once escaped him of spending some part of his early childhood in the home of his grandmother leads me to believe that his father died when he was very young but who or what he was or what the circumstances and the religious conditions of his parents were i have been unable to learn i take it however that his admission that he had never as a boy taken god's name in vain that he never thought of entering a public house as saloons are called in england that he never until he came of age had tasted any intoxicating liquor and his conduct as a chorister as i hereinafter shall relate all point to the fact that he must have been brought up in a christian home and perhaps under the watchful care of a devoted and praying mother a possible situation which would partially at least explain the wonderful work which he by the grace of god has been allowed to perform a work which i do not hesitate to say has not been equalled on any missionary field in the history of the world by any one man an incident in his life happening when he was only seven years old characterizes the man he afterwards was one day he found a penny in his clothes which he could not account for he did not remember that any one had given it to him he knew he had not stolen it how did it come there there came into his mind stories he had heard of people selling themselves to the devil at once the thought occurred to him perhaps the devil had put it there perhaps he wanted to buy him no quicker had this idea come to him than he hurled the penny as far away from him into the tall grass as his tiny hand could send it 
the devil should have no claims on him when he was nine years old the organist of the great cathedral in the city the beverly minster sent for him to test his voice word had come to him that young duncan was a natural-born singer with a remarkable voice the test was an encouraging and approving one the great musician patted him on the shoulder and told him to appear at the next rehearsal of the vested choir of the minster and from that week till his voice at the age of sixteen failed him young duncan was not only a diligent attendant at all hours for practice and rehearsal as well as at every service in the cathedral but he was soon given the privilege of singing the solo parts of the boy soprano and sang them with such feeling and such artistic skill that according to a publication in the french language which i have had the opportunity to examine people came from long distances to hear his wonderful voice at the divine services in beverly minster of this he was not at all aware in fact so ignorant was he of the unusual charms of his voice and so strongly did he look upon the religious side of his work that he frequently used to get another choir-boy with him on saturday afternoons into the outskirts of the town where they would kneel down and join in a prayer to god to help them to sing their parts well the coming sunday so that they could be a help in edifying the congregation and that he might accept their part in that service and worship and help them to render it in the right spirit the only education received by the young man in his childhood outside of the usual course in the common school was one year's instruction mainly in penmanship in a private institution he became an adept as a penman and to this accomplishment he perhaps owed his employment in the office of the house of george cousins and son the owners of a large tannery and wholesale dealers in hides leathers and findings when he was only fifteen years of age his first occupation consisted in making out bills and invoices and copying letters but mr cousins the younger was not slow to discover his latent abilities he taught him bookkeeping soon he was entrusted with the books and cash of the house and before he was eighteen he was engaged as the commercial traveller of the firm in seven or eight of the neighbouring counties he from the start made up his mind to take his religion with him into his business he learned the wants of his customers and made them known to his employers whom he informed that he considered himself the agent of every buyer who could not personally come to the warehouse of the wholesale house if his employers could not comply with the wishes of the buyer he simply cancelled the order and told his employers that this would be his policy all through and that if it did not meet with their approval he would at once quit their service they soon ascertained that it was money in their pocket to let the young erratic salesman have his own way before he had been on the road two years his quarterly trips meant that the stock was completely sold out and the warehouses cleaned out even to the last piece of leather but then he was strictly attending to business no time was wasted and no penny of expense either he was conscientiously aware of the fact that his time belonged to his employers and the only privilege he asked was to return to beverly every week in time to allow him to attend the bible class in st john's church taught by the reverend mr carr himself a thoroughly earnest and evangelical preacher to whose church young duncan had attached himself as soon as his relations to the vested choir of the minster had ceased the loss of his voice had made singing out of the question with him for a time but his music-loving soul craved an outlet and it soon found it in a city as practice on a concertina or accordion 
which he still has and which he one day with considerable show of affection exhibited to me it seemed to grieve him much to ascertain on trying the old instrument that two of the stops would not work at all i at the same time saw the flute and piccolo which he had played in the days of his youth but which long since had been laid aside for sterner and more practical duties an incident of young duncan's experience during his second year as a commercial traveller must be mentioned on his entering the commercial room in the hotel at workshop the head waiter said i suppose you have heard the sad news that our landlord has committed suicide since you were with us last no i have not said mr duncan that is too bad how could the poor man do such a dreadful thing it is a pity to think that a man could commit such a grievous sin as that an aged commercial traveller in the room a well-known agnostic but then unknown to mr duncan put in a word the only one i can think to be pitied is his poor wife she will have a hard row to hoe now as for him if he did not like it here why should he not shuffle off this mortal coil better end it at once than to live in misery but think of his condition in the light to come to meet his creator in that way bah there is no life to come nor any creator for all that it is all bosh grumbled the old traveller are you going to be here to-night sir asked duncan if so i would like to meet you and talk over this matter after i am through with my mail certainly i will be here and will be glad to discuss the matter with you young man after he had seen his customers and made his report to the house young duncan looked up his antagonist and found him at the fireplace in the commercial room and now commenced a battle of giants the old agnostic for a while found the young man's enthusiasm a worthy fence to the blows of his agnostic broadsword but duncan soon discovered that the old infidel with his arguments from Payne and voltaire thoroughly mastered was getting the best of the discussion with the young novice who had not as yet sufficiently studied the apologies of the christian religion finding himself unable to withstand the old infidel's attacks with counter-argument he changed his tactics leaping to his feet he rushed up to his adversary looking him squarely in the eye sir he said you are twice my age you could easily be my father i think you are a gentleman and i will ask you on your honour as a gentleman to answer me truly and honestly from your heart the question i am going to put to you much may depend upon your answer as far as my future is concerned will you answer me truly and honestly and his large blue honest eyes looked anxiously into those of the other man certainly i will young man what do you want to know the question i want to ask you is this here i am a young man i have from my childhood tenderly embraced the christian religion i have grown up in the christian faith have tried to live as near as i could a christian life and have so far enjoyed it i am happy in my christian faith now sir the question i want to ask you and i appeal to your honour to answer it honestly and truly would you advise me to give up this religion this faith this happiness and come over to where you stand without god without faith without hope the old infidel looked as ill at ease as if he had received a blow squarely in the face his eyes sought to escape now one way now another from the pleading searching glances of the young man but finally as in effort to shake off something disagreeable he looked his young antagonist squarely in the face and said while the perspiration beaded his forehead no young man 
when you put it that way i cannot i will not advise you to drop your religion and faith keep them and be happy but what then do all your arguments of a little while ago amount to don't you see that you are standing on a rotten bridge you are afraid to ask me to come out and stand by your side for fear the rotten thing will not hold us both and will break down i on the other hand stand on a good and solid bridge i can ask you and the whole world to come out and stand at my side without fear that the bridge i stand on will give way when your heart is appealed to instead of your head your honesty compels you to admit that your arguments are only empty words the old infidel wiped the perspiration from his brow and rose to his feet from his lips fell a hesitating good night and without another word he retired from the room the young missionary had preached his first sermon even before the lord had called him to the mission field end of chapter two